Hello, welcome to the Dive In Movie Cast, a film podcast where two unqualified critics give their opinions and try and differentiate themselves from every other podcast out there. I'm Hayden. And I'm Wesley. And this week, it's finally time for us to head across the Spider-Verse. Um, we did an episode recently where we talked about our most anticipated movies of the summer, and this was at the top of both of our lists, only uh, outnumbered by one movie for me. But nevertheless, I think it's very clear to listeners of the podcast that we've been extremely excited for this. Uh, and longtime listeners know that when No Way Home came out, we lost our damn minds. We are both huge Spider-Man fans, so I'm very excited to to get into this movie. But Wesley, how you been doing? What you been up to before we dive across the Spider-Verse? Same old, same old. Um, watching movies, hanging out, living life. Um, one thing recently that happened uh, is the end of Ted Lasso season three, which I am not caught up on yet. Uh, I'm like three episodes behind or something. Um, but I know it's going to like kill me. Like I'm going to cry. I think when that last when I watch that last episode, oh, it's going to get me good. I know it. Um, but I am very much excited to talk about it. I know that um, you're watching it right now, Hayden, but I you're am. pretty far behind. So I I'm think on season two. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll probably end up doing an episode with Cole or something about that one. But yeah, uh, I, I keep thinking about it and I want to catch up, but I'm watching it with my roommate Sid. And so it's like, I have to wait and we're now on opposite work schedules. So it's like almost impossible. So I was like, if, we don't watch at least like two episodes by Wednesday. I'm just going to binge the whole thing. Yeah. You only so. have three left. Only have three left. I think three or four. Nice. I've heard conflicting thoughts from if it sticks to sticks to landing or not. I've heard a lot of people upset that this is the potential ending. I've heard a lot of people glad that they told the story. They said it to tell and wrapped it up, but I, I need to really commit to this show. The problem is I commit to too many TV shows at once. Yeah. You got to watch this one, man. It's, it is incredible. It's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. So I, I'm trying to treat it more than like passive viewing because because it's like comedy shows like that. I kind of just throw on after long work shows or long work days. But I've heard Ted Lasso really does expand beyond comedy as the show goes on. So I need to commit. Oh, to yeah. It. By the third season, it's more of like a drama than it is a comedy, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but not in like a trashy way, in a very genuine, amazing way. Nice. That's good to hear. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I was going to say I've been doing nothing, but I actually just went on a trip to Montreal with my brother, uh, which was fantastic. Right? We saw one of our, our favorite musicians, uh, Noah Kahn. I, I thought it was just a great show. It was exciting to to do some traveling because I just get, I kind of start to lose my mind when I'm stuck in Nova Scotia for too long, as I'm sure most people do. Um, but it was nice to get out, get out of Nova Scotia for a couple of days. We just explored the city, had really good food, went to a concert. So it was great. And since then saw across the spider-verse um i also i also finished better call saul which you know i don't need to be a broken record i would actually like to do an episode on that with some time at some point once i found someone who would like to talk about it who's finished it um just a masterpiece and you know breaking bad is i'm very loud about the fact that it's my favorite show of all time and i think better call saul has added itself to the roster of my favorite shows ever i watched a clip today and this is just randomly out of better call saul uh, and you can tell me if this is true or not, 
Um, but is there a clip where Mike at one point is like standing outside of a house and he's like holding his hands over his ears and he's going, why are all these dogs barking? Somebody stop these dogs from barking. I, I don't remember it, but I've been seeing this clip on the internet as well. So, <laughs> I feel like it's got to be from something else. It's like, got to be because I'm starting to feel like I'm crazy. I'm like, did I miss the scene where Mike was mad at the barking dogs? But I don't I don't remember that scene. I also started Succession, which everybody is freaking out about as one of the greatest shows. Succession? You know about this one? I do, yeah, but I only ever hear it from, like, uh, people who watch, like, daytime television still. A lot of business on Succession, but it's also very funny. And um, I love things where characters suck. All all the characters on (laughs) Succession just suck. They're all terrible people. I find it very entertaining. Nice. Uh, But yeah, that's what I've been up to. It's it's been a, a good week, for sure. And oh, one other thing I got to mention uh, before we keep going mm-hmm. is another thing is uh, Amy, my girlfriend, watched the um, the Duggars, the whole thing about the Duggars. Have you heard about this? No. So do you remember uh, like John and Kate plus eight or like the Duggars, like those reality shows where it was like families with a lot of kids? OK, yes. Um, when I was a kid, I remember watching these shows and being like, oh, this is just because they have a bunch of kids or whatever, all this stuff. Turns out that the Duggars were actually part of this uh, large, almost cult-like religion. I can't remember the acronym for it. It's like IB something something. Um, but essentially, throughout a lot of it, when you go back and look at it, they're talking about this religion a lot. And it's almost like some kind of gateway, like they're trying to promote it through this show. And they recently made a documentary about it, um, talking to some of the kids now, going back through the history of what this big uh, uh, like cult-like religion thing was. It's super interesting. I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard like crazy stuff about this fam- family reality TV show that I used to watch as a kid that's actually a front for this huge awful religious organization Damn. um yeah crazy to hear about recommend checking it out uh i haven't seen it yet but uh amy said it was really interesting it had some crazy stuff that she never knew about okay yeah i'm gonna um, have to check this out i find cult stuff is just extremely compelling so that sounds wild yeah cult cults are everywhere the the amount of things that are hidden, hidden. cults it's wild yeah it's weird and now let's talk about the spider cult. I am a mm-hmm. I am a member of this spider cult that we are speaking of. Um, uh, yeah, wait, <laughs> really? Another really quick anecdote that yeah. I find really funny. Yeah, is uh, the Spider Verse brought out like so many different types of people to the theaters, but one of them being like the Discord mods. Um, <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about, it's just like people who sit in their room all the time. And I heard this uh, on Discord, like on Twitch, all this stuff right in front of their computer screen all, at all times. Um, but I heard this interesting, uh, or this funny thing from a YouTuber. He was talking about he went to go see Spider-Verse, and like the guy that sat right beside him just like probably has never showered in his life. Uh, Neckbeard. <laughs> Neckbeard wearing like this Spider-Man shirt. And, and uh, he was just like, dude, there's like so many kids here. You couldn't have just showered. Like, man. No, he's keeping the raw Spider-Man energy coursing through him. He got yeah. bit by a spider 10 years ago, and he hasn't showered since. <laughs> he's like, maybe if I don't shower. I just have to keep the DNA. Keep, keep it going. That's wild. 
Yeah. Everyone came out to Spider-Verse, the Discord mods, the young kids, and us. Truly, it was actually wild because when I went there on Tuesday to do my little double feature, the theater was packed. In fact, I couldn't find a parking spot, and I haven't seen the theater like that in a very long time. It's crazy. I haven't seen the theater like that either. Me and Amy got there early when we went to go see it for the first time, um, and like it was a sea of people mm-hmm. at Cineplex, and I've, I have not seen that in so long. I love um, the way that Spider-Man actually, fans pull up. It's really cool. Yeah. It's it's amazing to see. It was mildly overwhelming to be honest, but yes, it was. Uh, it, it was really uh, crazy to see how many people were pulling up for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. It, I just, I, I really have noticed a thing with superhero entertainment. There is a decrease in demand for superhero movies, perhaps. Yes, but never for Spider-Man and never for Batman. People will always pull up for those two. Yeah. There, uh, it's just iconic. Every kid was like, I'm Spider-Man, thwip, thwip, or I'm Batman, as they had the towel over their shoulders like a little cape and jumped off the side of a couch, you know? It's, it's me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's, before we get right into Across the Spider-Verse, which really, to be honest with you, it took me two and a half days to get all my notes down for this movie, a very hard movie to talk about because there's so much movie. Um, I need to see it again, quite honestly. Uh, to fully get my thoughts around it. But before we get right into that, let's talk a little bit about Into the Spider-Verse, a movie that uh, came out before we started doing this podcast, and a movie that I am pretty open with the people in my life as I think it's the greatest comic book movie ever made. Um, What do you you think about Into the Spider-Verse? I totally agree. Greatest comic book movie ever made. Maybe my favorite Spider-Man movie ever made. It's my favorite. Um, I, I think it has it, it's got to be my favorite. It's just so good. I rewatched it recently before this new one, and I loved it even more than I did the first time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just such a good movie. And now I'm seeing clips of people comparing stuff from the second movie to the first movie and noticing correlations that they didn't realize in the first place. Um, one big one that I'll mention later when we get around to the point Uh but yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff that I didn't realize connected these two movies until like after reviewing, watching reviews or Easter egg videos or things like that. It's amazing. And I think it just makes my appreciation for the first one go up even more. Agreed. Yeah. It is one of those movies where, you know, it's it's hard to talk about because at this point, what is there to say about it that hasn't been said, especially in the discussion for the sequel? Um, but I, I truly do think that this movie was so inventive when it came out. Every animated movie since 2018 has wanted to be the next Into the Spider-Verse. The way yeah. that it honors source material while while paving its its way forward in a new direction. The way it plays with what people love about the character and all the different versions of these characters that everybody knows and loves. Um, there's not too much to say about Into the Spider-Verse aside from the fact that it really did set... It, it broke new ground in, in animation, in cinema... I think what it did for not only superhero entertainment, but just animated movies in general, it can't be understated at any point because it's just, it was groundbreaking. And uh, it's, it's a movie that I've revisited like probably five or six times. And every time I rewatch it, I find new things to love and I find new details that I hadn't noticed before, especially after the sequel. And uh, it's just, it's a five out of five masterpiece movie. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like, I think too, it did such a huge thing for animation uh, too. Like the animation style alone, we see movies now like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Rise of the Ooze or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, 
like copying that comic booky style um in a in a sense and so i think it's done like so many things for uh comic book movies uh and even too like having that representation of miles morales for many people that's the first time they've heard of that character like a lot of people didn't know about him mm-hmm. um and so huge recognition for that character uh ultimately leading to like a spin-off of the spider-man games where it's just miles like that kind of stuff um really bringing that in and i i just love it it's yeah. amazing well miles is such a great character and i find it really cool to think about how there's so many kids in particular so many black kids who are going to grow up now with like miles as their spider-man and i I find that really cool to think that like they've throughout these movies and obviously throughout the comics and throughout the game as you had mentioned they've found this new take on the on the spider-man story that allows it to be more accessible and more diverse and i think that the way they do it in in the into the spider-verse movie is just flawless and uh just Mm -hmm. remarkable stuff and it's again, as I said, it's hard to find new points to talk about about this movie. But like you had mentioned about the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, kind of taking the style from from this type of movie, you have another one too, like Mitchell's versus the Machines, which I thought was a great mm-hmm. movie. But it's it's so clearly trying to be like, can we be the next into the Spider Verse? And truthfully, I don't think many movies will be capable of doing what Into the Spider Verse did. I don't think any will be be capable of doing what into the spider verse did it's it's such an amazing story it's such an amazing movie um and it's such an amazing way to redo that like the movie almost makes fun of it in its own way where it shows like a bunch of different origin stories of spider-man because you've already had like so many spider-man movies and tv shows and whatever um but i think this one really drives home that point that it can be anyone behind the mask like i love that line that it could be anyone behind there and it really does that by being like, here is a Spider-Man in a world where there already is a Spider-Man. And there's five other Spider-Men that are have been Spider-Man for way longer than he is, uh, who are way better at it. And so how does he become his own uh, his own version of Spider-Man and what uh, he really needs to be to be the, ser- the hero of the city? And I think it just does such a good job at it. Mm-hmm. And the second one just expands on it even more. Yeah. You know, I, I find myself constantly thinking about the leap of faith scene from Into the Spider-Verse, which mm-hmm. I, I truly do think is one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever, period. Like, it's—and it's, the, that's the thing about Into the Spider-Verse, too, and I, was, I might mention this a little bit more later, but it, it could have just been one movie. It didn't really demand a sequel, and don't get me wrong, I'm extremely grateful we're getting two sequels, but that movie is such a, a complete thing in its own right. And I think that's why it excels as the greatest comic book movie ever is because it throws so much at you and, and it's still, be, it's a conclusive finished thing. And I think that that's yeah. pretty masterful. But yeah, let's, uh, let's get into Across the Spider-Verse. Five years mm-hmm. later, five years of anticipation in the movie, it arrives. What, what are your thoughts? When, when we sit down, we see it in IMAX. Holy shit. Don't even get me started on seeing this movie in IMAX. Yeah. Oh, so good the imax viewing was so worth it like if you somehow or for some reason are listening to this and have not seen it yet go watch it imax because it's so immaculate like there is nothing like it but like i watched this movie and i i think uh, i watched chris duckman's review on the movie and one thing that he said that i really resonated with was that 
a lot of the times when I watch movies, and I fully agree with him when he says this, he was saying that a lot of times when he watches movies, uh, he knows how those movies are made. Like he understands the process. And so it takes him out of it a little bit. But watching this one, like it's all just animation. And I have no idea how any of it's happening, but I'm just so enthralled that it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I'm just there. I'm fully engaged. Like, for the entire runtime of this movie, I was so engaged in what was happening on the screen. Um, the story that's being told here has to be told over two parts. I understand why there's a second part to this. Um, there's so much happening and so many things going on that even during my first watch, I was just like bombarded with jokes and Spider-Man and different action scenes and all this stuff happening. Like, in a great way. I, I was like, this is so much amazingness all at once. Um, so I understand why there has to be a second part, but this first part is just immaculate. Like it's does such a good job at setting up the story of showing us how miles has, um, improved since we've last seen him, but also how much farther he still has to go. Um, I like I absolutely love this movie. Every second of it, I was just like so enthralled and so there for the entirety. Um, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I second everything you said. While watching this movie, I thought numerous times, as you had mentioned, how did this movie get made? Like, how do you make a movie look like this? Um, yeah. And I and I started thinking even more, and I was like, okay, how how do you make this movie in four years? You know, like watching it, I was like, this, ha this would take 20 years to make. Like, it's like the most impressive thing. Every single frame from this movie, you could, you could take it out of the movie. You could put it on your wall in, in a frame, yeah. you know, like you could make it artwork. It's all seamless. The way that every scene transitions together, the way that the action punches, every single character has a dynamic, different art style. And it, and it's, it just comes together perfectly. It doesn't, it's not distracting in any sense. It's nuts. And it's crazy too. Cause they really could have focused on having like some of the main characters be really different and unique, but in the entire spider society, um, there are like hundreds of different Spider-Men that all have their unique little flares and outfits and things and Easter eggs and all this stuff. And, there's just so much put in here. Yeah, it's it's mind-blowing that they made this in four years. Yeah, this was, you know, I've, I've seen quite a few movies from 2023 so far, and this is easily the most exhilarating, exciting, extremely funny. It's just all around the best movie I've seen this year. I think it's the first five out of five I've given out in 2023 so far, which is, you know, kind of crazy that it's taken this long to get to a five out of five movie, but this is kind of... Everything I'm not just looking for from my action movies, from my animated, from my animated movies. It's everything I'm looking for from a Spider-Man movie. Um, I just, I thought the world of it. And again, like I, I'm struggling to talk about it right now because it's really such a, it's so overwhelming. It's like sensory overload to the max. And I need to see it a second time before I feel like I'm going to be able to talk about it in any intelligent way. Yeah. There's so much happening. Like it's crazy, but uh, there is still a very clear storyline here um, of Miles continuing continuing to struggle to find out what kind of Spider-Man he is, like who he is in this world, and in a greater sense in this movie, who he is in the vast multiverse of Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. um, 
it, it's it's truly a huge story to tackle here and they've also got like that's not even the main that's not even the single plot line is in this movie there's like three other ones we've got gwen and her dad we've got miguel o'hara um trying to put back the timeline we've got peter b parker and his daughter like mm -hmm. there is so much happening here um that it's fair to like i totally agree that i, I think i'll stumble through this a bit um and that i almost wish i saw it a second time before we recorded this but Me i too. do have lots to say and i'm very excited to talk yeah i agree so the movie it kicks off we're introduced to a miles a year and a half after the events of the original film He's finally become the quote-unquote friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, uh, and he's improved greatly since we last saw him as Spider-Man, but he's lonely. He's unable to see all his friends due to them literally living in different universes. He's struggling to find a balance between Spider-Man and his family res responsibilities, which, you know, is kind of the classic Spider-Man story of just like the, the, the line of trying to walk, balancing your personal life and balancing the Spider-Man thing. Do you think that the movie kind of throws you into it too immediately or do you think that it's like a very natural progression of like seeing how he's improved since standing in the last movie i think they do it in a really clever way by starting the movie off with us uh with gwen and learning a little yeah. bit more about gwen's backstory um and then we don't even see miles before we meet uh uh like we meet the spider people that are teleporting in we've got like spider woman and miguel o'hara um, who come and help uh, Gwen as she's battling this like medieval vulture, yeah, uh, like steampunk vulture. vulture. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it, it's really cool because we get introduced to that first. Um, and I think most people expected to see Miles uh, a little more in his own and a little more in his uh, figuring out who he is as Spider Man. And I think it's done really well with this like. He's talking about like the villain of the week, how he's constantly battling villains left, right, and center. Um, we see him interacting with uh, the people of the neighborhood, like the shopkeeper, uh, when he goes into the convenience store to find the spot. Mm -hmm. um, like he's very just much, he's very much just like, "How much do I owe you for this beef patty?" Like calls him by his first name or whatever. Um, like you can tell that he is the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, but as we as he starts to fight with the spot, you see like still his moments of he's not there just yet. Right. He's not, he's not perfect at it. And sometimes you'll even see he gets his ass kicked a little bit. Yeah. Um, random little, little thought here or not thought, but just observation. I found out that the, the guy who owns that shop in the movie is Bob Marley's son, which I just thought was really funny. And really? now I, I hear it clear as day after, uh, after seeing that online. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the opening scene with Gwen, is uh it's a 10 minute opening scene and it is like masterful my jaw was on the floor watching it because this is a gwen's animation is top tier maybe some of the coolest visuals i've ever seen in a movie theater ever it's got this watercolor look to it and it's like dripping down the screen uh Haley steinfeld said that the director called it a mood ring so like it's like the colors are literally representative of what characters are feeling in that exact moment and how their feelings are changing throughout the scene it's extremely dynamic, uh, very cool, and the steampunk vulture is just, it was a very cool way to kick off the movie. Also thought it was interesting to see a version of Peter Parker where he became the lizard. Thought that was, yeah, was kind of wild. Yeah, that was really interesting. Cool way to kick off the movie. Um, 
but yeah, I, th- I think that, like you had mentioned, the choice of starting it off with Gwen and kind of giving her her own character arc and her own side plot uh, is a good way of taking the weight off of immediately throwing us back into Miles' world before we, we inevitably get there. Yeah, and it, I think it's a good way, too, to give us a bit of Gwen's world, too, and to introduce us um, to how Gwen ends up being part of Spider Society yeah. um, and traveling through the dimensions, dimensions as well. Um, and we also get that heartbreaking scene with her dad, um, which is just devastating. Dude, just just hug your daughter. Settle just down. Just hug your daughter, man. You know? Come on. I know you're a cop, but you're a dad first. Come on. Yeah. I thought I thought it was a great way to start off the movie. And I do think that their, their relationship doesn't get too much time, uh, Gwen and her father. It doesn't get too much time dedicated to it, but I think it's just the right amount for you to have like emotional investment in it. Yeah. Um, and then we're introduced, as I had mentioned, we're introduced to Miles and also the spot. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the spot because I find him to be a very interesting villain. The movie starts off by framing him as, as you had mentioned, a villain of the week. He's goofy. He's incapable of being menacing in any way. He's fumbling everything. He can't even rob a convenience store properly. Um, and he's played by Jason, Jason Schwartzman, who... I thought just was a fantastic voice actor in this movie. I thought he did a great job with the character. I just, I found it very interesting how as the tensions kind of start to rise and the movie continues to go on, we see this very menacing side of him start to come out and he's no longer just this punching bag for miles, which he very much so is throughout the beginning of the movie. What did, what did you think of the spot? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's really smart how they make him the guy out of the gate villain of the week. Like he seems very, just goofy and silly and it's like miles is just gonna take him um but that intensity that grows uh as he continues to be prevalent and learn new things and all this stuff um it's it's very cool i think and it like he is not really in a sense he is the villain of the movie but in my opinion i feel like he is there as a villain to be a villain to be defeated eventually there's definitely a lot more that Miles is fighting against in mm-hmm. this movie than just this villain. And so I think starting him off in this first movie is a very low threat um, until we get towards the end. And I'm sure in the second movie, he'll become the real threat. But this first movie setting up all this stuff, making him not as prevalent, I think that's a smart choice. Um, yeah. So that he doesn't take up too much screen time in this first one. And then the second one, we're like, well, we've already seen him a ton. So who really cares? You know, right. Um, I think we'll really see what he's capable of uh, in the second movie. And I'm excited for that. Yeah. You know, as he said, my holes can take me anywhere. Um, <laughs> yo, hey, yo, out cri- of context, dude, man, that podcast clip out of context is going to haunt you. <laughs> it's life ruining. It's completely life ruining. Um, no, I, I found him to be really interesting. And the line delivery when he says, um, you know, as he gains more and more intensity and as his powers kind of start to expand, his voice starts to do this very creepy thing. And I think one of the last lines we hear from him before he, you know, exits the movie to come back up in the in the next part, he says, uh, see you at home, Spider-Man. And just I got full body chills when he when he delivered that line. I thought it was extremely menacing. It's very creepy. And I just I really like how he's played for full on laughs and like a total idiot, just completely inept supervillain. And then once he kind of unlocks his own goals and agenda, you really realize that he's like got some pretty crazy powers and that he's capable of doing some very dangerous shit. Yeah. 
So Spot is our main villain, but that leads into a point that you had just made. Spider-Man 2099 is the main antagonist. Um, he's got good at his core. He's not just a, a supervillain or anything like that. In fact, he's nowhere close to a supervillain. He's fighting for a good reason, but the way he goes about it kind of pushes him into the antagonist role on Miles' journey. He's played by Oscar Isaac, so everyone is, you know, dumping heaps of praise on, on Spider-Man 2099, and rightfully so. What did, what did you think of him? Ah, oh, amazing. Incredible. It's Oscar Isaac. Oscar yeah. Isaac is like killing it in the MCU um, at the moment. In the greater Marvel Universe, he's got some insane roles, um, and one of those being uh, Spider-Man 2099. Uh, so cool to see him in this role. He does such a great job, has that just intensity, um, and what's the word I'm looking for here? It's It's like intensity, but almost like this very stern uh, demeanor about him. Like this very much like, this is the Spider-Man that lost everyone. And now he is, his only thing is keep everyone else safe. Like that kind of thing. It's it's like taking a bit of the humanity out of Spider-Man, but like he's still Spider-Man. He's still a good person. He still wants to help people, you know? Um, he's just almost bitter and jaded towards the world. And I kind of love it. Um, I agree. It's very interesting to see. He's this very interesting fusion of of Batman and Spider-Man, quite honestly. Yeah. Um, he's like a, a vampire. They didn't really elaborate on that, but there's like this quick shot where he like pulls his teeth out and he goes to bite someone. And I was like, hey, yeah. yo. Do you, do you know of any of like the comic book origins of uh, Miguel O'Hara? I know a little bit about him. I played uh, Shattered Dimensions, I believe it was, the Spider-Man game. And he's, he's in that. Uh, and I, I've heard about the character and I've read about the character, but I haven't actually read any of the comics so i don't know too much about the whole vampire side of him it's it's very interesting because if i'm not mistaken which i'm very much maybe um the way that miguel gets his powers is the spider-man of his uh world dies um the spider-man of his universe dies and so either that or it's something else um but uh once that happens miguel o'hara starts splicing his own dna with spider dna so it's not that the spider bit him it's that he is injecting this stuff into him that's the stuff we see um in the movie we watch him inject something into his shoulder or whatever right. that's like spider dna that is giving him part of these powers like he doesn't get the web swinging he gets that from his suit um and i think some of his super strength he also gets from his suit um but the one of the downsides of the uh him injecting himself with this spider stuff is that uh, just like a spider, he has to hunt prey. Mm. Uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's what it is, but I could be wrong. Okay, uh, but yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's why he has kind of those vampiric uh, fangs that he needs to hunt prey. Um, and like, he's and like got that. Yeah, exactly. Because he's got that spider inside of him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I, I, which, which may become like some super intense, crazy thing in the next movie. Who knows? But. I feel like we'll see more of it. It's I feel like it's purposefully shown in a very, very small dose so that when we actually see him, you know, consume someone in the next movie, it'll be all the scare, all the more scary. I found Miguel O'Hara, though, like particularly interesting because he's intimidating while also being sympathetic. We really do see why he's set on this path and why he's become the way he has. Um, and he's he's very interesting and compelling as a Spider-Man because he's not funny, like at all. He's extremely angry and 
and mean mean spirited in a sense, um, which we've never really seen with Spider Man. I'm sure there's versions of the characters in the comics that are like that, but we've never really seen it brought to screen like that, or or Spider Man who behaves like that. And so he's just voiced fantastically by Oscar Oscar Isaac in a very interesting direction for the character. Um, I do want to talk specifically before we go any further. I do want to talk specifically about the animation because we've mentioned how good it is and how you know, beautiful it is to look at and how you could take the frames and put them on a wall. But I feel like we have to go a little bit further because when a movie is doing so much groundbreaking stuff with its animation, I feel like it deserves just a whole segment of us just kind of gushing about the animation. So I totally agree. It it dials in on each character's unique aesthetic and art style, which I had mentioned about Gwen's kind of watercolor mood ring spider punk. However, uh, I thought his art style was particularly interesting because it's reminiscent of like torn up faded concert posters from like the era of like the Ramones and like the sex pistols, you know? Yeah. Um, it's very cool. And I thought his was extremely interesting. And then, you you know, you have Spider-Man India and the way it's drawing color from like Indian culture. Um, and it goes on with, with each character. I could do this for every character, you know, Spider-Man 2099 is a very futuristic kind of cyberpunk style to it. Um, but just like, what did you think of the way it kind of seamlessly blends all these different animation styles? And which one was, was your favorite? It's absolutely insane how many uh, Spider-Man they came up with. I think it, they do a really good job in making it all kind of blend together and fit well together too. I think my favorite out of this one is definitely Spider-Punk. I think mm-hmm. Spider-Punk is such a cool idea um, to have all these different like colors textures there's moments where in his jacket you can almost see like the lettering of a torn up newspaper like his whole kind of persona and just art style and vibe of his spider-man is so cool and so interesting to me um and i think also another one to shout out to that's really funny in my opinion um is when we see there's an animated spider-man like a short uh yes stocky spider-man from like that's from the animated cartoons of like the early 2000s that i remember watching as a kid so i find it so funny to like see him there you see the insomniac spider-man um from the spider-man games uh with the same voice actor too and the same voice actor for the animated show um and the one other one i'll mention is uh scarlet spider um, the super serious one. It's very <laughs> voiced by uh, Andy Samberg. Yeah, there's a weird amount of like SNL uh, actors in this movie um, that are just hanging out and have tiny little roles. It's it's very funny. I I thought Ben Riley, the the Scarlet Spider, he's an interesting character because you know for anyone unfamiliar, he is deeply existential because he is a clone of Peter Parker. Yeah, and he's this very kind of serious, brooding version of of Spider-Man, but in a way where it's almost more like a, a as I had said, an existential crisis. We, we in, were introduced to the shot of him where he's just sitting there crying. And he's like, that was a particularly harrowing flashback. And, and so he's very funny. Um, you know, since we're talking about it, we do get some other really cool ones like Josh Keaton reprising his role as the Spider-Man from the short lived, but excellent spectacular Spider-Man show it was, uh, it only had, I believe one or two seasons. It was 2008 to 2009. Uh, yeah, got canceled, but it was a fantastic show, and even he shows up here, and I thought that was was really cool. The Lego Spider Man, of course, can't forget about him. Yeah, Lego Spider Man's there. That's really funny. 
Yeah. Um, we see these cool like live action shots from like archival footage from Spider-Man one, uh, and the amazing Spider-Man, like so cool to see that there's, I could talk about all the Spider-Man in this movie for hours and hours on end. Yeah, Metro spider. Oh yeah, of course. Metro Boomin popping up playing his own Spider-Man. Metro Boomin popping up playing his own Spider-Man. Uh, you've got another awesome cameo, which is not even Spider-Man, but Donald Glover as a version of the Prowler. Yeah, well, um, that's a very interesting like kind of idea to have him pop up is because you know he showed up in Spider-Man: Homecoming, and he was supposed to play. He plays a character named Aaron Davis, and he was supposed to become the MCU's Prowler until the MCU just went different, like eight different directions with the character of Spider-Man thus never really giving us the Donald Glover as the Prowler storyline that we were supposed to get. So kind of giving him his, his flowers here was a really cool way of, of bringing that back around. Yeah. There's a, an endless amount, but... Here's, a, here's one that's really, really dumb and I thought was kind of funny. I feel like I was the only one around me who picked up on it. Mrs. Chen from the Venom movies yeah. is, in this movie, is in this movie when Spot kind of pokes his head into a different universe and he ends up in the convenience store from the Venom movies. Um, what a dumb Easter egg that I thought was honestly kind of clever and kind of funny. Yeah, there's there's like an insane amount of Easter eggs uh, spilled throughout this movie. The fact that the spot is the guy who got the bagel thrown at him in the first Spider-Man movie. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's, that's just his, funny. That's his villain origin story. He got a bagel to the face and it ruined his life. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. Um, th- yeah. I I just love the variety, but not only the variety, the attention to detail with some of the Spider-Men that are here, um, because there are some that are ripped straight from old comics, old video games, and there are some that are just like brand new that they've made up uh, yeah. and have just created. Uh, you got to also shout out the T-Rex Spider-Man, which is actually from a comic, uh, I believe. And another one is, um, and I had this in my notes, literally just a singular note that said, shout out Peter Parked Car. What? You don't remember seeing this one? It's a, it's a car that is Spider-Man. Oh, right, right, yes. It's like a, it's like a sentient moving car, but it's, it's, it's dressed, it look, it's got like the paint job of Spider-Man. Its name is Peter Parked Car. Also, you gotta shout out the, the <laughs> Wild West Web Slinger. Um, oh yeah, he's got this horse that has the spider powers too. Like the horse is on webs. I love how he's chasing Miles, and he says, "We duel on three, two and then Miles hits him with the web. He's like, "You didn't let me get to one." Yeah, uh, uh, funny stuff. And you know, J.K. Simmons, of course, reprising his role. We could do this for yeah. We could do this for hours, and I think it would honestly still be entertaining for me to just kind of dig through through each one. Um, especially as somebody who has who's so aware of some of the different suits and different variants of Spider-Man that I've seen pop up throughout the comics, I thought it was really cool. Whether they're in it for just one second or whether they're in it for, you know, like Insomniac, uh, the PS4 Spider-Man, he gets like lines of dialogue. And I thought that was, was really cool. Uh, another funny thing that you mentioned, uh, Mitchell versus machines. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really funny. You mentioned that because one of the main, I can't remember if he was the head animator or the head director. Um, but he is the voice of Genki, um, Miles' roommate. Yeah. Who only has those couple dialogues. It's like an animator or something. Um, but yeah, super funny that they threw him in there too because they were like, Mitchell's versus Machines. Yeah. But uh, yeah. 
that is that's pretty cool. Uh, so because we've just gotten through all these Easter eggs and some of the the big moments that pop to us with just random Spider-Man characters, wanted to ask you. The first one has some Spider-Man. You know, quite quite a few Spider-Man. But after the success of No Way Home, it feels like Sony was like, "Okay, let's really double in on this." And the pessimistic side of my brain is I'm just curious. Do you feel like it's a bit too like, hey, look at the screen, you know this thing? Or do you, do you think it works for the context of what this story is? I think it works for the context. And I think it works in general too, regardless of the context. Because I think everyone knows the Spider-Man story. There's, there's probably not a single person on the earth that you could ask, do you know the story of Spider-Man? Do you know who Peter Parker is? And they would say no. Like, I feel like everyone knows it, right? So having this opportunity to bring all these different Spider-Men to screen, yes, they may have the same backstory, but their little differences make them so interesting and unique and fun to talk to and learn about. Like even just having punk Spider-Man make jokes about how uh, he like isn't going to do things because somebody told him to, but he's just going to do them anyways. He's mm-hmm. Spider-Man, like, he, but he's too punk to be told what to do, you know? He's tearing down the patriarchy. Exactly, or, like, the fact that um, the Indian Spider-Man has only been Spider-Man for, like, six months, and he's better than Miles, you know? Right. yeah. Um, and so it's just, like, funny little things like that, or when he's like, you call it Chai Tea? Chai is literally tea, like, you're saying tea, tea. Uh, I, those little things, it's funny. Yeah, so you work at a coffee shop. I myself also work at a coffee shop. And every time since I've seen this movie, somebody orders a chai tea. I'm like, (sighs) I didn't know people. I didn't know that either prior to the movie, to be fair. But like now, it's just inescapable from my brain. I just want to quote it constantly. Yeah. It's a chai latte, not a chai tea latte. Yeah, I I had no idea that that chai tea is tea tea. I. Like, it makes so much sense now, thinking about the fact they call it vanilla chai. It's not vanilla chai tea, it's just vanilla chai. Ah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, anywho. It's, you know, we, I do feel like we could go on and on about, about the Easter eggs and the characters. Who, if you had to pick one, though, out of all the cameos, who was your, your favorite little kind of blink and you miss it Spider-Man? Uh, blink and I miss it Spider-Man? Oof. It's gotta be the uh original uh the spider-man's from the original tv show series that that iconic meme comes from he is one of the spider-man doing that pointing meme Mm -hmm. uh i love that little one because he's there and also another spider-man from another very early like cartoon series is also one of the ones pointing and i think the third one's the insomniac spider-man um but uh it's yeah i think that's got to be one of my favorites because they like it's an iconic meme now and so they just had to like bring it out in full force and they did a little bit with uh the little teaser thing with miguel o'hara um that came out a while ago but uh really just leaning into it and having all the spider-man point at each other and that one be the specific one that's like right front and center i think is hilarious yeah he's kind of the one that starts the whole pointing thing amongst all of them yeah that's a good one um now that I asked the question, I realize it's kind of hard for me to answer it myself. I, I did think the Insomniac Spider-Man was was really damn cool to see. Uh, yeah. I didn't expect to see him in the movie. But also, I, I loved all the nods to the animated shows that we grew up with in particular. You know, like, I think I'm a Spider-Man fan the way I am because of that 90s Spider-Man TV show. I was re-watching it recently, and I was like, 
the show fucking rules. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. Some of my favorite interpretations of the villains are, are from that show. I think one, one Spider-Man that I would have loved to see um, that wasn't there was the one that is voiced by um, uh, Drake from Drake and Josh. Uh, he is uh, like a... I can't remember what it's called. I want to say it's like Spectacular Spider-Man or something, but it's like a cartoon series I, I watched as a kid as well. And I kind of wish that he was there, but he doesn't end up showing up at all. Uh, but yeah, I think there's thousands of Spider-Men they could have picked from. And so I don't think they needed more Spider-Men. I think they had lots. That is a good point. We don't need to be like, oh, I feel a little bit burned that this one particular Spider-Man wasn't there. We've got like 5,000. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you had told me when I was a kid that there'd be a movie that comes out when I'm a 22-year-old man that would have thousands of Spider-Men in it, I, j I just don't know if I would have believed you. But it's really cool nevertheless. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, so one thing that I wanted to bring up, and it's kind of, it goes back to what we've said multiple times at the beginning of this episode about how hard this movie is to talk about. And there's a very particular reason why this movie is so hard to talk about. It, it's not a complete movie. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard yeah. to really get into and, and discuss where this story's headed because the movie just doesn't have a third act. It kind of just stops. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I do think it, it's why it feels kind of impossible to criticize the movie, right? I was watching a YouTube video about it, and the YouTuber, his name's Cosmonaut Variety Hour, he had mentioned the point of, like, it's like trying, it's like reading half a book and then putting the book down and being like, that's the best book I've ever read. Yeah. We haven't really finished the book. We don't really know where the story's fully headed. Um, so what do you think about the way that this movie ends on a very massive cliffhanger? and how it's kind of an incomplete movie. Do you feel it drags the movie down in any right as its own thing? I don't think so. I think it's very interesting. I was having a conversation with um, Sid about this um, and how the movie ends. So the movie ends with Miles being in the wrong universe, uh, the universe that his spider is from, where there is no superheroes because Spider-Man never existed. Um, and he sees himself... Uh, finds himself as the Prowler, um, sees this version of him that is the Prowler. And it's super interesting because this is, uh, at the beginning of the episode, I was talking about a point that connects with the first Spider-Man. Something I never noticed was that in the first Spider-Man uh, into the Spider-Verse, when Miles first meets Peter Parker, his Spidey sense is purple and green showing how he was going to be the Prowler until it changes to the Spider-Man colors of blue and red, and that now he is Spider-Man. Yeah, it's like the um, universe kind of adapts to the fact that he's messed with the timeline. Exactly, which I is so interesting um, yeah. and so cool to think about now. Um, but yeah, Miles in his, is in the wrong universe, and he's currently being held by uh, himself. I, I think it's super interesting because it's not like the usual cliffhangers where it's like, will they, won't they? Uh, it's like oh shit, Miles is in the wrong universe and it's going to be hard for them to trace him now because technically the timeline is going to say that he's in the right universe because that's where his spider DNA is from. Yeah. Um, like my roommate said was like, they're going to easily figure out that the anomaly's there. And I was like, but are they though? Because the spider DNA will match with the timeline. And I'm sure they're going to figure it out pretty quick regardless, but I think it's a more interesting cliffhanger than, oh no, will Miles survive? It's like, of course he's going to survive. There's a second movie. Yeah. Um, but 
uh, yeah, I think it's a better cliffhanger than most. And I think it's interesting too to have um like Gwen out on her own now with this new uh time or dimensioning travel device made by Bodhi. Um and like having mile or uh having 2099 Spider-Man hunting him down uh in this new sense where it's like he's trying to stop him from saving his dad from dying like yeah it, bro it's so hard how could you expect him to not save it try and save his dad you know like I, the fact that Spider-Man 2099 is like can't let you do that brother I'm like yo but you know he's gonna try at least right it's his dad yeah, I'm like, why did you even mention it to him, man? Yeah, don't like, tell him. Just, just don't just, say anything. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it's very interesting, too, because I feel like we live in a world from typically the MCU, or I feel like the MCU has largely caused this, which is like we're used to a big explosive battle in a conclusion, and then maybe we'll get a cliffhanger in the post credit scene. Um, but Marvel movies kind of wrap up with a neat bow most of the time. Infinity War is a part one, but it even kind of ends, you know, like the movie, it's not like a cliffhanger like this because they, it does end. They just lose. Um, and I think what's interesting is like, this is the most comic booky ending I've ever seen to a comic book movie, which is to hit you with a giant text bubble and say to be continued. Uh, yeah. comic books do that shit all the time. And they just kind of, the story just kind of stops and then continues further down the road or in the next issue. And I think it feels jarring for us as viewers of, movies to have this happen but it really does make a lot of sense for what they're trying to adapt in the world and the story that they're telling some of the greatest trilogies of all time the second one ends with absolute peril you know like the characters in really shitty situations lord of the rings the two towers um empire strikes back literally ends with luke and his dad facing off and then luke getting his hand chopped off and then falling and then being saved by his friends like that's one of my favorite, that is my favorite Star Wars movie. And it ends in a spot that is not an ending. And I think this is going to be the same thing. It, it feels weird to us right now as viewers because we haven't really gotten to the point where we see the, the through line. We don't really know where they're headed. So being left on a massive cliffhanger like this feels kind of weird. But I do think that the movie does kind of, it, it stands on its own separate from the fact that the cliffhanger ending is, is a massive cliffhanger. Yeah, I would agree. And I think... I think one of my, if I had any issues with this movie, which I have like very close to zero, one of them would be that a lot of this movie, Miles very much feels like he's just being thrown around. Um, like he cannot get uh, any traction anywhere. He cannot like have a second to breathe without something happening. Um, and I think that can make people feel, make this movie feel like to people that it's just kind of going through the motions and setting itself up for the second part. But I find that it does come to this almost resolution um, at the end in the sense where it's it's less of a resolution and more of like a checkpoint. Like a, this is the end of one chapter and the beginning of the next, you know? That's a good point. Um, and so I'm I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm excited to see that we're going to have some iconic characters back, like uh, uh, Spider-Man Noir is coming yes. back. Nick Cage uh, is back, baby. Nick Cage is back. I can't remember if Spider-Ham is back. I don't think he is. He was there. Yeah, um, he was there in that final was shot. There? Yeah. I, did, I didn't remember seeing him. And, you, and Penny Parker's there, too. Um, 
and we've also got some like new members of the team uh with Bodhi, spider punk and uh spider-man india like was so it, cool to see. was it Bodhi or hobby i can't i can't remember pretty oh maybe it was hobby I, it I mean, blurs together saying it wrong because... the entire time anyhow that's okay. spider punk yeah uh that's what i'm talking about uh yeah i'm just excited to see what's coming next because next will be the ultimate uh the inevitable confrontation of the spot uh what is miguel o'hara gonna do is he gonna try and stop miles um but the interesting thing that we've now been hit with this interesting revelation that i've i've come across is um gwen her storyline has officially deviated from the intended path um because every all these uh like characters in the spider-man universe they talk about this or miguel o'hara talks about these points these important moments these canon events that have to happen and for most spider people it's losing a loved one um but also like it can very much be uh either the death of a best friend like for her peter parker but for a lot of them um the police captain dies like that's just what happens. That's what was supposed to happen um, in uh, Moonbatten, uh, but it doesn't end up happening because I actually I absolutely love the fact that it's called Moonbatten. That's Moonbatten. insane. It's so hilarious. Um, but uh, like he doesn't end up dying. The police chief there doesn't end up dying, and Gwen's dad steps down from being police chief. Um, and so it's interesting because I thought about that for a second, and I was like, wait, does that mean? that a canon event that was supposed to happen in Gwen's universe doesn't end up happening because Gwen stopped being Spider-Woman, you know? Like, she went off in all the different dimensions and flew around and was going all over the place but not spending time on her own. So what does that mean for Miles now? Um, right. Does that mean that he can actually change this canon event or is it still going to happen? Right. Um, it, it leaves so many questions that just make me excited for the next one. I just can't wait. I yeah I completely agree. Um, you know, players who have played the the Spider Man game will know Miles's dad dying is kind of the jumping off point for his character. It's also like this in the comics. Jefferson Davis is supposed to die, and so I find the idea that this movie's trying to get at very interesting. And I kind of wanted to like pick your brain on it a little bit because the first movie sets up a very clear narrative of like anyone can wear the mask. You know, anyone can be Spider Man if they are called to action. However, this one leans into the idea that tragedies and events that define Spider-Man are necessary for them to even be Spider-Man. Um, does Spider-Man need to lose the most important person in their life to be the hero that they need to be, or can they form their own path free of the form their own path free of the experiences the character primarily deals with? So I feel like you know this movie explores that largely through canon canon events, which all the memes online hilarious. I, I think the idea of canon events is extremely interesting. The way that it kind of plays with spider-man mythology but essentially what a canon event is, is is what exactly what it sounds like an event that is formative and happens in every single spider-man's life um and i think what this movie's trying to get at is that does spider-man need to be grounded in tragedy does he need to lose everything to become spider-man or can he kind of form his own narrative and i'm curious what what your thoughts of this inevitable direction of the storyline are is that do you think that that's needed for Spider-Man or do you think that this movie's trying to set up a, a storyline where it's just like no no you can you can tell your own narrative you can form your own path 
I very much could see that happening, but I personally am in the belief that there needs to be some kind of tragedy for a hero to be born from it. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason why Spider-Man is Spider-Man is because like, is because his uncle gets murdered in cold blood by some criminal and he never wants that to happen to someone ever again. And so he, um, that's why he is Spider-Man, you know? And for different people, it can mean different things. Like for Gwen, when her best friend Peter um, ends up turning into some kind of like crazy goblin lizard dude, like it's that moment of, I don't want that to ever happen to anyone again. Um, so I need to help. And hey, for some people, Miles's whole thing could very much just be that he is now, like from the first movie, he gets stuck as being one of the Spider-Men and he has to step up to the plate. Um, he still goes through tragedy, watching Peter Parker of that universe die. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're working towards that, but I, I do believe that there has to be some um, kind of like rock bottom you hit to be able to become that kind of hero that selflessly gives their time, energy, and all, and many times almost their life to protect people. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of deep levels that they could really go into in this second one. Um, and I do think that that could very much be the direction they're headed where you can make your own story. Yeah. Um, uh, and if it is, awesome. Uh, but, I mean, I it was it's going to really hurt me if I watch miles's dad die and so i, know, I don't know bro. brian and, tyree henry does such a good job playing jefferson davis yeah and the, the other thing too is he's already gone through tragedy of family member dying with his uncle aaron dying that's what i was gonna um, ask yeah i was gonna say so has he not been through that tragedy that that, that formative spider-man tragedy because he's already lost his uncle um and you know peter parker his uncle ben is more so his his father figure he's more so his dad um and less so like his uncle so I, i'm curious like, how traumatic does the trauma need to be to really form Spider-Man out of that? And I just find the idea of, like, does that trauma need to exist at all? Like, can you be a Spider-Man without losing the most important thing in your life? I find it such an interesting idea. Yeah. There, there's a lot of cool stuff they could expand on and go with for the second movie, but I guess we'll just have to wait a couple months or a year or however long it takes due to writer strikes and things like that until we truly see what happens to miles as he ventures across the spider-verse yeah this actually you set me up for a perfect segue here the release date for beyond the spider-verse is currently set for march 2024 do you believe we're getting it then no because um they've actually removed that release date uh, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, you saw that, but yeah, they've removed the release date. Um, so I doubt we're going to get it. I I originally thought we weren't going to get it for two years, and I think that's what it's going to look like, or what yeah. it's looking like, at least two years, I think. Because um, they, they're going through a lot over there, and I don't know if they're going to be able to pump out a movie like uh, that's going to rival this one right here like this has got to be a step up and so we're gonna see who knows i want them to take their time you know like on one hand i've been hit with the nastiest cliffhanger ever and my entire body is now just a vessel to be excited for spider-man <laughs> but on the other hand um we're gonna have the video game to hold us over spider-man 2 so we get plenty Very of true. peter and miles in the meantime 
Um, and I just, I want them to, to get this right. And I want them to take the time. Haley Steinfeld did an interview and she said she hasn't recorded a single line of dialogue for beyond the spider verse yet. So no, I do not think it's coming out in, in 10 months, despite the fact that that was originally what was, what was planned. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I truly do feel like there's so much more that we could talk about and I, and I'm, I'm trying to hit like a couple more points because there's just a few more things that I wanted to get into. What did you think of the the Metro Boomin soundtrack for uh, Boomin for this? Absolutely Boomin. It's absolutely Boomin. Metro Boomin, Doobie Boomin. Come on! I love how in every single song, in like if you listen to the soundtrack in every single song in the background, you just hear at the beginning of every song, Metro. I know it's the craziest producer tag of all time. <laughs> it's a it's great so producer hard. tag. I just find it so good. Yeah, I think a lot of it's really good. Uh, and they do use it sparingly in the actual movie, and it's mostly just instrumentals. Uh, but I think that's the point. I don't think many of those songs could have really fit in there with the words and lyrics that they've got. Um, especially, I don't think Lil Wayne going, uh, swing around like I'm Peter Parker, or anything would have really fit in the movie. So yeah. Agreed. Um, we get some, we get some choruses. You know, like we get like Sway Lee's chorus on Annihilate makes it into the movie. Um, Self Love, that is a fantastic song with Coyle Ray. It makes it directly into the movie during the opening scene with Gwen. Um, so there's a couple that make it in there, but you're right. I do think it's a good choice to, to largely limit those songs to, to instrumentals rather than full-on rap songs throughout the movie. Do you have any favorites off the soundtrack? Uh, I just actually downloaded a bunch of them today. Um, I'm just gonna real quick look in my like songs. I I gotta say, um, Nas Morales is really uh hitting different. Yeah. Um, Am I Dreaming? Absolutely slaps. Um, and Silk and Cologne, the song that is played at the uh rooftop barbecue. Um, oh, that one's awesome. Miles' yeah. dad. That song slaps. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, Hummingbird, like there are some crazy songs on there. So highly recommend listening to that if you haven't yet. The vibes are just like, you know, I'm still living in the movie through the soundtrack. Um, Hummingbird is fantastic. That one with James Blake has been stuck in my head for, for days now. Yeah. Um, do you have any other thoughts on, on Across the Spider-Verse? I feel like there is so much more I could say about it, but until I get that second watch in. Look, to be fully honest, there are like, billions of things i could just keep talking about over and over again but i think we'll have more to talk about when the next one comes out and we can really look at both these movies together as one piece um i do think they'll help us really like convey our points even better and really see those through arcs that are coming through from the very first movie all the way to the end um one more thing i do want to mention we mentioned this earlier um about the the way that Gwen's universe looks, and I just want to touch on one more thing before we kind of wrap up here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I heard about in an interview, I, I maybe it was with Haley Steinfeld, I can't remember, um, but they're talking about how um, the director really wanted Gwen's world to convey her emotions. Um, so there's a scene in specific where she's like crying I'm talking to her dad and you see the walls behind her have cinema watercolor effect where it looks like the tears are streaming down the wall. We see the emotions put out into her world, like the way that she feels when she's upset. You see she's covered in these like blue and purple, very sad, melancholy colors. 
um there's a moment where uh it's really tense between her and her dad and you don't know where their emotions are at right now and the whole room is white until yeah, she yeah, runs yeah. up and hugs her dad and the color comes back in and it's just so beautiful and so well done oh yeah no i i completely agree honestly gwen's world had my jaw on the floor and i think i had already said that earlier in the episode but every single scene set in in her art style and her aesthetic i just i wanted to live in it um you know of course spider punk's world is very cool and spider-man india is it has a fantastic world as well all these very inventive visual styles but something about that watercolor mood ring style of gwen's world was just just absolutely transfixing i i really i really loved it i thought it was amazing yeah um, it's, it's so impressive visually impressive movie like stunning beautiful i can't wait to watch it again i know i'm super excited i think next time i watch it just quite quite frankly i'm just gonna get pretty high for it and i, I think I, it's gonna be a fantastic experience tomorrow I, like i i want to go see it before it leaves theaters and so i feel like i need to go see it soon oh um, it'll be there for a while it'll be out of imax probably in the next week or two but dude um, i don't know it's, uh park lane has already put on their or halifax cinema uh, has already mentioned that Park Lane only has a couple showings for it left. What? Like, it's been like a week. I, I know, but um, the, we got some banger movies coming out here, man. I know, it's wild. Like, I'm so excited. There is some crazy stuff lined up, and so I'm nervous that it's going to leave like earlier than most people think. I hope not. I, I do really hope that most people get the chance to see this uh, on the big screen. I, I really think that's the way... Yeah, I say this with every movie ever, but I really think that this movie in particular is such a goddamn big screen movie. It's every movie is a big screen movie. Um, I, okay, really quickly before we before we end this off, I wanted to do some theorizing for you because, quite honestly, I have no idea where this next sequel is headed, except for I have one thought, and I was curious about your idea, your thoughts on it. I think the spot is going to be the big bad for a portion of the next movie, but you know who I think is going to take the big bad slot? Oh, Spider-Man 2099. I think, I think there's a, the spot is a very confused and hurt individual, uh, in a way where he doesn't strike me as the type of person who like exists to cause pain. I think he thinks he needs to be that, but I don't think that's, that's who he is at his core. And perhaps I'm going to be completely wrong. and I'll eat all my words on the next pod when we talk about the sequel, but I just kind of had this theory that they're going to get the spot storyline out of the way in the first half of the film. And then slot Miguel O'Hara into that real like big climax bad guy role in, in the next movie. What do you what do you think about that? I have a mildly different theory. I think that the spot, yes, he doesn't want to hurt people, but I think he's tapped into so much raw energy now that he won't know how to control it very well. That's true. Um, and it's kind of gonna spill out from him. And I think what I see happening is Miguel O'Hara uh trapping miles again and being like you're not dealing with this i will deal with this attempts to deal with it and does isn't able to and miles is the one who is able to uh actually defeat the spot in the end like mm -hmm. i see it less of like that um miguel o'hara goes crazy and starts attacking miles i see it more in the sense that um uh that miguel thinks he's better than miles um, and then Miles is just an anomaly that shouldn't even exist. But Miles is going to prove himself uh, that he deserves to be a Spider-Man and he deserves to uh, belong in this universe of Spider-Man. I have another theory, too, that I want to get your opinion on. 
I think that the spider that bit Miles was supposed to bite Miguel. Ooh. I think that might that might have been Miguel's universe. Um, and since he never became Spider-Man and there was never Spider-Man to begin with, uh, everything went to shit and that's how his family died. That's my theory. And so he well, blames Miles for his compelling family stuff. Yeah, that'd be really cool. And that's why he has so much resentment towards him. Not because of that he's an anomaly, but because he is the reason why he never became the fully fledged Spider-Man he was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That's just a theory, though. A game theory. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's really interesting to me about this ending of this movie, though, is in a day and age where cliffhanger endings are all but, like, completely useless. You know, I'm going to give a couple examples. Fast X. Wesley, are you scared for Dominic Toretto? No. Not at all. Because everything's going to be fine. It was the worst cliffhanger ever. Uh, honestly, even going back to Infinity War, which is a fantastic ending, except every everybody had movies announced. It was like Black Panther 2, Spider-Man 3. They were dead, but I knew they were coming back. Um, yeah. There was all these, you know, corporate business trappings that kind of ruined the cliffhanger of the cliffhanger. I have no idea what is going to happen in this next movie. And it's so exciting and like refreshing and really thrilling, to be honest with you, to think about the fact that like there's so many different paths that the next Spider-Verse movie could walk. And I just really can't pin down which one they're going to take. And that's just really cool. It's been a long time since a cliffhanger ending has actually like left me like completely shocked and, and have, having no idea what's next. Yeah, it's wild. I'm excited. Me too. Very excited. Um, but easily the best movie I've seen this year. Let's do our rankings out of, you know, five holes. <laughs> I'm just joking. What's a good one? Five bagels. Out of five bagels. Okay, there it is. Out of five bagels, what would you give across the Spider-Verse? Five. Five. It's a five. It's a five. Um, Isn't it exciting sure when we get to a... give movies fives? Yeah, it's great. And I can't wait to give the second part of this another five. Um, It's going to be so good. It's going to be nuts if the next one is a five as well, though, because that would be a five, a five, and a five. The perfect trilogy. The perfect trilogy. We've always waited for the moment. This might be it. Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, but yeah, I think that's kind of everything we have to say about the Spider-Man movie. I mean, it's not really everything. We could keep going for hours, but we should probably stop here. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to check out our other episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram as well. Uh, it's at the Dive Movie Cast and our individual Instagrams. I'm at Wesley Giffen. I am at Hayden Kudris, and it is the same name on our letterbox. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next time. I think it's a Banksy. <laughs> <laughs>